0: Glad you're here this morning we're in the book of Deuteronomy and if you have your Bibles you can turn there you can also get out your phones and go to our live page um, and find the scriptures the songs from this morning all of that's there and it's there too so throughout the week if you want to go back and read something or you miss something it's there for you it's up till the next Sunday so I don't change it until the next Sunday morning and so you can look those scriptures up and, and look at those things in our series in Deuteronomy we've been talking the last several weeks we will be through the whole summer It's the idea Yahweh is giving you. Because if you read the book of Deuteronomy, it says it over and over again that he's giving it to us. It's a gift. Like we don't have any control. We don't earn it. We don't get it. Whatever God wants to do, God does because he's God. But he does it in a way to try to communicate to us, human beings, who he is. He created us special, different from the rest of creation. That that we're not like the animals. We can think and reason. We write. There's no other animal that writes words, which is what we're going to look at this morning. Right now is one of the highest festivals, one of the highest feasts of the Jewish calendar. It's the Festival of Weeks. It's Pentecost for Christians. We renamed it because we didn't like the Jews, I guess. I don't know. But it's the Festival of Weeks, Shavat. The word Shavat means weeks. And you count down the weeks between and the days between Passover, which if you remember, that wasn't too long ago, Easter, Passover. Like you count the days down to right now, which is Shavat. It's also when the Holy Spirit came, the Word of God. It's also when Moses received the Word of God on Mount Horeb. It's all connected. God's constantly trying to communicate to us over and over and over again, I'm trying to give you something. I'm I'm trying to get you to see who I am. I I want you to see what I can give. Our problem is, is we don't want his gifts, right? It's like that gift you get from Christmas from Grandma. You know it's coming? You're like, i got to try to smile and like this, right? Because, like, you know, it's like, I, yeah, thanks, Grandma. Like, I, thanks, Aunt Susie. Like, I, because why? Because we're not grateful. We don't think, wow, Grandma loved me enough to get me something or make something. Or Aunt Susie, you know, like, I, I think I told this story a while back ago, but I have an aunt that used to do, do um, cardigans. She would all, all kinds of stuff with yarn. And I'll never forget, she would send almost every Christmas another cardigan outfit. Outfit. (laughs) Listen, cardigans weren't any more popular today as they were when I was in first, second, and third grade. I remember having to go to school, and my mom wanted me to get my school picture taken in Aunt Kat's outfit that she made me. And I was just, like, panicked. Like, no. Like, it wasn't cool to wear this thing. And it... It was itchy. Like, but Aunt Kat made it. And I can tell you, she is one of the most loving, kind, generous people you'll ever meet. Today, I appreciate that gift. Back then, I didn't. Today, I appreciate who she is and what she stood for. Back then, I didn't because I didn't understand what she was giving me. She was giving me her heart. She was mailing it from Texas to get to me. Like, you can just save the postage, right? Like, No, she was giving me a piece of her that she had spent weeks doing something. You see, and that's, that's something that even though the gift might seem strange, which God's gifts can sometimes seem really strange, we should still recognize who's giving it. And so this morning what I want us to look at is this. The idea that we are stiff-necked people who need to turn. Stiff-necked people turn. Because in the next three chapters, that's what Moses is saying. It starts out this way, look at this, in verse in chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land or giving you this house or this car, giving you whatever you have to have it, possess it, because of your righteousness. <laughs> you didn't get this because you're so good, right? You're getting this because you're, you're a stiff-necked people. I mean, Moses just says it, you're a stiff necked people, remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in the wilderness. You've been rebelling against the Lord from the day you left Egypt until the day you reached this place. Listen, even those of us who are believers, we recognize in our heart that since the day that Jesus Christ forgave us, that we invited him in to free us from slavery to sin, to give us forgiveness of sin, we also know that we're still stiff-necked people, aren't we? And we can be in a second. Do you, do you know what the term stiff neck" means in the Old Testament? It, it's a word that, that was used in farming, and we don't do farming much anymore, right? That's why these feasts and festivals we just kind of don't understand when we read them in Scripture. But what it was is it was an, it was an ox, okay? And, and, and it was the ox goat. So an ox would be in a, have, have a thing on his neck. So it, it would be over him, and then the Lord would use this ox goat. It was like a stick, and it, you poke the ox to get him to turn. Right? So you poke him on this side, poke him on that side, and it makes the ox turn away from the poke. I don't want to get poked. Ah, okay, I'll go that way. I see what you want. Right? And so as a farmer, depending on the ox you had, depended on the strength of your ox code, and it depended on how hard you had to poke. <laughs> right? Some of us got to be poked real hard for God to get us to turn. <laughs> it's like, and where do you poke him? In the neck. You are stiff-necked. It's like your neck is so thick, and your muscles tense up so bad. I can drive this thing in you, and you're still like, I'm going this way, right? Blood's pouring out. I'm still going. I can make it work. That's what this illustration is. And God's like, I just want to kind of touch you. I just want to touch you with it. I don't want to have to beat you. I don't want to have to stab you. I just want to touch, and you're so responsive to me. And you haven't hardened your neck and, and the muscles. You haven't hardened up so badly that when you feel the touch, you just move. Oh, we we're, oh, we're going to go that way now. Okay, that sounds good. Oh, we're going to go this way now. Okay, I'll follow. No problem. That's exactly what Moses is telling the people. He's like, every day you use these oxen that don't listen to you. You remember what it was like. You know what it's like to have a hard animal to try to drive them where you want to go and how frustrating it is. And finally, you just kill it and eat it. It's worth more eating it than it is trying to get it to move. He's like, that's what you are, but God still gives to us, even though that's who we are. And that should be, like, amazing to us. That should, like, be like, yeah, like, why does he keep doing it? You see, and rebellion is not always extroverted, right? Like, sometimes we think that, that rebellion is like, You poke and I'm just gonna keep trying harder. There's also the rebellion in our heart where our master pokes us and we just lay down and think we're worthless. And he says, no, get up, I'm with you. Let's do this together. No, no, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I don't have enough. You're not enough. I can't make it. I can't believe in you. You see, we always look at rebellion as this thing that's, that's always extroverted. There's an introverted rebellion that can destroy us. We're seeing it happen in our culture with depression and suicide, anxiety issues. That we, we have so stood up in our hearts against God that we're no longer soft to him that we got all this mess because we're just so stiff-necked and we just lay down and we won't move. And God's like, trust me, I know where we're going, I can help you, I'll push you as far as you need to go. I can give you the strength. He goes on and he says this, you provoked the Lord at Horeb. In other words, you poked the Lord. You keep poking him. It's like he pokes you to get you to move gently and you're like, give me that thing. And you poke him back in the eye. It's like the three stooges, Right? It's like we're not going to get anywhere if we're standing here and go whoop, 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 whoop. Like that's not what they never got anywhere, right? If you've ever watched The Three Stooges, they never got anything done or it ended badly because they were constantly just picking at each other. And anything that happened good was always by accident because one of them got hurt and it helped everybody. And the reason we love it is because we're like, yeah, that's, that's totally me, Right? And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's like, you provoke the Lord at Horeb. In other words, you came out of Passover. You came to the moment of Shabbat, You came to the moment of weeks. You counted. You were at Horeb ready to receive what God was going to give you. And you hardened yourself. You provoked him. He was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant the Lord made with you, I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat bread or drink water. On the day the assembly, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets inscribed by God's finger. The exact words were on them which the Lord spoke to you from the fire on the mountain. The Lord gave me two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. He gave his word. It was a gift. See, often we don't see God's word as a gift. We see it as a burden. I don't want to carry this yoke. I don't want to have to. There's so much to do. I'd rather just lay down. And God's like, no, my, my word to you is a gift. So you know what to do. So you know which direction to go so that we can walk together in this. And this was the Ten Commandments. By the way, you may not know this, but the Ten Commandments, you know, when you see like uh, Charlton Heston in the you know, Ten Commandments movie, for those of you who are old, you know that. For those of you who are young, you're like, who is that guy and what are you talking about? Anyway, he held Ten Commandments, right? To, they were actually inscribed on the front and the back in Exodus says. They were inscribed front and back, not just front. You see, sometimes we get these images of the way things are because we've seen it in movies or we've made this image in our mind. And it's easy to not have God's image, that he filled both the tablets up to be read. And today is the day for thousands and thousands of years that God's people, this week, God's people have celebrated the gift of his work. And we as Christians celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of truth. The Holy Spirit that brings the word to come alive in our hearts. It's the same exact thing. God's doing the same thing to get our attention to tell us. But what happens is, while Moses is on the mountain, there's something else going on we'll look at in a second. Here's here's what Jesus did. In Luke 4, 1, when Jesus returned from the Jordan, this was after he was baptized, one of the highest moments in the New Testament. Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The word of truth, the the full truth, he's fully empowered. And it says, full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. This is exactly what happened to God's people. God's people were led into the wilderness to trust God to worship, to leave the gods of Egypt, and to go. And so while he's there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, the Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. To break the curse. To say there is now a human being who will not break God's word. That will not break God's covenant. That he doesn't matter how hungry he is, how sick he is, what he thinks his identity is, what he thinks his personal opinion is, doesn't matter. He will not break God's word. He goes in and look, this is what happens. He ate nothing during those days and when they were over, he was hungry. Duh. I love that God puts duh moments in the scripture, right? Like He puts these moments in the scripture like, and he was hungry. Oh yeah, that's what would happen. Because he knows we're going to breeze through that. Yeah, yeah, he fasted 40 days. Okay, let's get to the good stuff. Oh, wait, he was really hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days? Whew. It goes on and it says, The devil said to him, if, you're my, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Because, and, and, but Jesus answered him, It is written, man must not live on bread alone. Jesus answers him with what? His opinion? Well, let me tell you who I am, mister. Does he answer with his, his identity? I am the son of God. He just goes, um, I think God's word says this. So then Satan's like, well, I lost that one. So then he tempts him again, and Jesus answers him. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to serve anything you tell me to serve. This is what's written. And then he goes, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, Satan says, for it is written, Satan says. See, now Satan gets it. Oh, we're going to play the word game. Okay, I'll use the Bible too. And so Satan brings the Bible in and says, oh, well, the Bible says the angels will take care of you. Wait, I thought a minute ago you were telling me I wasn't God's son. Now, now you say I am God's son and the angels are going to take care of me? Which is it, man? You're crazy. You can't get your facts straight. And, and Jesus knows this. And this is why we get so in trouble is because we don't know God's word. It's easy for someone to come in, give us a verse of scripture, or lay something out, and we go, yeah, that sounds great to read stuff on the internet and not actually research it. And then what ends up happening is we don't answer like Jesus. Jesus answered, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. You're right, it is written. But I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now, and I'm not going to play that game. I'm not testing God just to see if he'll send angels for me, because he said he'd do it. Jesus didn't say he didn't believe he'd do it. He said, I'm not putting God in that situation. And what do we do? We constantly love to test God, to poke him, to prod him, which is exactly what happens next. Look at what happens. The Lord said to me, Moses is on the mountain. He's having the moment of a lifetime. He is in the presence of God. The mountain's on fire. It's like lava lit up. Like people, The mountain's on fire. Moses is gone, and the people decide to have a party. Get up and go down immediately from here. Your people, I love that. You're a your kid, right? You ever done that? Your child. Let me tell you what your kid did today. He says, your people from you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They've quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made a cast image for themselves. The Lord also said to me, I've seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Leave me alone, and I will destroy them and blot out their name under heaven. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great, into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. Most of us, if God were to tell us that, we're like, you betcha, I'm in, let's go. If that's what you want to do, let's smite them all. Let's start over. I've thought that before laying in bed many times. Let's just start over, right? I mean, if we're honest, we'd be not like Moses because what Moses does is he comes, so I went back down the mountain while it was blazing with fire. Like the people are worshiping a calf and the mountain's on fire. Like, oh, that's interesting. Woo, they're worshiping, like, that's what we do. God is trying to work. God's trying to show himself to us. And we completely ignore it to go after some cow that we like. That we made. And say, look how great this is. And it breaks God's heart and it infuriates him. And then he says, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. Can you imagine he's walking down like, what are they doing? He doesn't know yet. What is, he's ready to kill them. He's walking down with these tablets that have the law on it. And it says... I saw how you sinned against the Lord your God. You had made a, a calf image for yourselves. You had quickly turned from the way the Lord had commanded for you. So I took hold of the two, stab, uh, two tablets and threw them from my hands, shattering them before your eyes. That'll get your attention, right? Dad comes in and throws a plate, and it shatters on the wall. Everybody gets real quiet, right? Mom comes in, throws a... We're, it's serious now. I don't know what's happening, right? But that doesn't happen very often. Goes and he says, then I fell down like the first time in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat bread or drink water because of all the sin you'd committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking him to anger. And I pulled out a sword and I helped God kill all of you because we're starting over with me. That's not what it says, is it? It says Moses fell down on his face. Now there was a sword pulled. And they did kill some people until they stopped worshiping. And he ground up the calf, which we'll find in a minute. But but do you understand? Moses' first response was not, let's kill him. His first response was brokenness for the people around him. He was just in the presence of God. And he's looking and saying, how do you not get this? How do you you miss this God? How do you miss his word that was just chiseled? I watched his finger chisel in stone." You guys are down here with a calf, playing around. I mean, Moses is brokenhearted. And for 40 days, he fasts like Jesus did. Jesus knew what his ministry was going to be. He was going to have to give his life to stiff-necked people like you and I. He knew that for the next few years, his life was gonna be taken from him. He knew he wasn't gonna get all that he deserved on this earth until he came back a second time. But he did it anyway. And that was Moses' heart. Let me ask you, is that your heart for people? Does your heart break for your own sin and for the sin of people around you? Or do you just get angry and wonder when God will get them? See, God's heart breaks. Now there's definitely, you know, consequences. Moses goes on, he says, I was afraid of the fierce anger the Lord had directed against you because he was about to destroy you. Remember, this isn't going to affect Moses. Moses. It doesn't matter how many people God slaughters. Moses is good. God said, I'll start over with you. Moses is not praying for himself on his behalf. God already told him, I'm good with you. Moses isn't eating for himself and his own family. They're going to survive. He goes on and he says, But again the Lord listened to me on that occasion. The Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But I prayed for Aaron at that time also because Aaron made the calf for him. They brought him a great idea. And Aaron's like, that sounds great. Let's do that. Right? I took the sinful calf you'd made, burned it up, crushed it thoroughly, grinding it to powder as fine dust. Then I threw it into the stream that came down from the mountain. You know, I wonder how many of us have been spared by the prayers of others that we have no idea are being prayed for us. See, we think it's about us and our works and our righteousness. There's no amount of right they can do to undo the golden calf and the rebellion that they did. It's Moses' prayer and his heart and his passion and his dedication to give the rest of his life to these people that causes God's heart to turn. Does that mean he changed? No. God tests us all the time. God doesn't change his mind. He's offering Moses an option. Hey, you want to start killing him? I'm with you. You want to pray for him? I'm with you. Moses says, I want to pray for him. I want your heart of compassion that you've shown to me to be for them. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It just means that's what I want. He goes on. You continue to provoke the Lord at Terabith. So even though you saw people die, and there were a bunch of people that died that day and slaughtered, and the calf ground up, and Aaron, said, even though you've continued to see God's faithfulness, you still provoke him. You still poke him back. He pokes you, and you're like, stop it. You don't just turn with him. You don't read the word and go, oh, wow, I'd never seen that. Maybe God wants me to go that way with what he's saying in his word. No, you just grab another scripture and say, yeah, God, but this. And you throw it back at him like Satan does. And he said, you provoked him at these places. When the Lord sent sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, go up and possess the land I've given you. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you did not believe or obey him. That's when he said, go into the promised land. And they're like, no, it's too scary. They're too big. You did not believe or obey. You've been rebelling against the Lord ever since I've known you, Moses says. I fell down in the presence of the Lord 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord threatened to destroy you. I prayed to the Lord your God. Do not annihilate your people, your inheritance, whom you redeemed through your greatness and brought out of Egypt with a strong hand. Notice he doesn't say, but here's all the good they've done, God. Moses never says that in any of his prayers. He's like, but they're so good. They're nice people. They do these good things. I mean, come on, if you put it on a scale, God, they're they're decent. He's like, this isn't about them. I understand that they should be completely wiped out. So should I. But can we be honest? I want you to look good. I want your glory to be made known. And what is more glorious than a God that forgives? Because all the other gods don't forgive. There's no escape for them. There's no grace You're a different God, and that's the God I want them to see. He goes, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Disregard this people's stubbornness and their wickedness and sin. Otherwise, those in the land you brought from us will say, look at this, because the Lord wasn't able to bring them into the land he had promised them. And because he hated them, he brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your great power. An outstretched arm. He looks and he says, God, this isn't, I don't really care if you kill him. Kill him. Sometimes I want him dead. Like I'm tired of him too. But, but there are Egyptians watching. There are Canaanites. There are other nations who worship calves and idols that if you do this, they're going to question your greatness. And I don't want them to question your greatness And I want them to see that even though they are a calf-worshipping, rebellious people, that there's a God who forgives and gives grace. And he reminds God, he's like, that's who you are. And God's like, thank you, Moses. You're right. That's why I've forgiven them. I just want you to understand that so you can write it down and tell people the story. (laughs) That's why we have it. Moses is writing what he's experiencing down. And I love the fact that he says it's an inheritance. No, we're not getting it right now. You're not getting these people right now. But God, can we be honest? There's going to be an inheritance someday from these people. It doesn't look good right now. Our investments are tanking. We're investing in these people and it's going downhill fast. (laughs) But you've promised that you will bring your investment. That you will bring the fruit. That you will bring the increase someday. And so don't forget that. And then he says, I love this, your great power and outstretched arm. Do you realize the word outstretched arm in Hebrew was really confusing to the Hebrews? Because they weren't supposed to make God in any image. So to say his outstretched arms doesn't make much sense when God's kind of a being that isn't really personal and intimate. What do you mean by outstretched arms? Like he's stretching his arms out, he's punching you. Like For us who are believers, we understand this is a reference to the cross. But all along from Genesis, Jesus said, "There's going to come a Savior who stretches out his arms on our behalf to say, "I am open, my heart is yours to shoot. I give myself to you." Now what's your response? And these people's response to God giving themselves was to turn. See, Jesus said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." Exodus 3:13. This is where Moses is dealing with this same passage in the book of Exodus. This is the story. Now, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please teach me your ways. He's on the mountain at this point. And I will know you and find favor in your sight. Now, consider this nation as your people. Then he replied, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. If we don't have the spirit, Pentecost, Shabbat, if we don't have it, we're in trouble. We need to have you with us or we're dead. He goes on and he says, how how will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all other peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked. This is after the rebellion when Moses goes up on the mountain the second time. And he's pleading, don't leave. It's what David pleaded when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He said, God, do not take your spirit from me. Because I know if you, if I don't, oh, I just, I don't take the feeling of your presence to know your presence from me. Because if I don't have that, I have nothing. Please forgive me. Renew a new heart, a new spirit in me, David says. It's the same thing Moses is saying. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God tells Moses this. Moses, you have found favor in my sight. Can you imagine God telling us that? You have found favor in my sight because of your care for others, because you listen to my word, you do what it says, you you uphold it. You live with the consequences of not doing what it says. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory He said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. And if you go another chapter, there's a big section where he lays out his name and his graciousness and his kindness and his compassion. And it's beautiful. He's like, Moses, I'm going to let you call me by name. Me and you are going to be that close. And you're going to tell my name to the people so that we have that kind of a relationship. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he answered, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. You see, the next time Moses goes up to the mountain, he sees God face to face and he dies and God buries him and it's the same for us. The moment we see Christ face to face will be the moment that we know that our earthly bodies are gone. We'll never get them back, not the ones we had, but we will get new bodies. We'll be resurrected in heaven forever. It is a beautiful picture that's in the Old Testament. It's no different. This book is amazing, front to back. He goes on and it says, The Lord said to me at that time, cut two more stone tablets, like the first ones. Come to me on the mountain and make a wooden ark. So now he's got tablets and an ark. <laughs> I will write the tablets, the words that were on the first tablets you broke, and you are to place them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, cut to two stone tablets like the first ones, climbed up on the mountain with the two stone tablets in my hand. Can you imagine all this? Like, Moses has to obey all this. Wait, I gotta cut stones, I gotta make an ark, like, can't I just go back up? Like, before, it was like, I just went up there with me and you, and then, like, I didn't, the stones were already there. Like, can't, no, cut, cut two new, dip, okay, I gotta do it over again. Like, wait, and I gotta put an ark to, I gotta carry an ark and two stones up the mountain? Like, Yep, put them on. You're like an ox. Carry it up to me, right? He goes on and he says, Then on that day of the assembly, the Lord wrote on the tablets what had been written previously, the Ten Commandments that he had spoken to me on the mountain from the fire. The Lord gave them to me. And I went back down the mountain and placed the tablets in the ark I had made. And they have remained there as the Lord commanded me. The Israelites traveled from Baroth ben Jenkin to Moshara, Aaron died and was buried there, and Eleazar his son became priest in his place. They traveled from there to Gadagah, from Gadagah to Jobahath, a land with streams of water. He he, he lays this out and he says, You're going to come out, you're going to get these words from me, then you're going to descend Mount Sinai. And it says in another place in Scripture that when he came off the mountain, he was glowing. He goes up on the mountain with the tablets and the ark. And when he comes back down, and listen, here's the key thing. The first time Moses came down the mountain with his two stone tablets, he was ready to share those with the people openly. This time, God says, no longer can you do that. Because of their sin, there needs to be, they need to be buried. They're, they're going to be in an ark. So when the people said, we'll believe what Moses tells us, They had to believe what Moses told them because because they didn't get to have or touch the stone tablets. They were in the ark forever. When he brought them down, he put them in the ark. Well, how do we know that's what Moses said? How do we know what God, I want to see where God chiseled or I can't believe. If I don't see it, I can't believe it. Moses like, well, I tried to show it to you the first time, so did God. And I shattered those because you guys were idiots. Now you just got to trust me. When are you going to trust God? And he puts them in an ark. See, God's word is put in us, a temporary dead wooden thing. An ark is not a living tree. It's a dead tree cut down for a purpose. And God wants to put his word in arks that go out into the world and represent him. We'll see how important this is in just a second. Look at what Exodus says. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony... In his hands, he descended the mountain. He did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of him speaking with the Lord. This is probably where we get the pictures in the Renaissance of people glowing, right? Like Jesus is glowing in all the paintings of the olden days. You're like, I haven't met many glowing people, but they had a lot of them back then, right? Everybody just walked around glowing all the time, like all the saints and prophets. Like, it'd be easy to know you were from God if you're glowing, that would be better. They weren't glowing. Anyway, but this time he did. He did not realize it was glowing as a result of speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. Yeah, he's like radiation, right? But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told them on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he pulled, put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded, and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. He's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Like when he's going up to Darth Vader and he's got the veil on, he throws it off and it's like the lightsaber comes out. Like they stole that for Moses, maybe, I don't know. But it's like he put the veil on. He didn't want to see, like he didn't want you to see the glory fading away. You see, God wants us to be radiant like that to the world. It doesn't mean we're going to physically glow. I hope you don't. You probably have gotten into some radiation and need help. But he wants us to glow from the inside with his word, that his word is, is light to people. He goes on in 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul says about this experience in the New Testament. Now, if the ministry of death, that's the ark, The ministry of death, an ark, a dead thing that you're putting living words in, chiseled in letters of stone, came with glory, so the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You've been given the Holy Spirit, Acts 2 says. You've been given God's very presence in your heart if you don't harden your heart. How is that not better than being in a box? Like, goodness gracious, that's what God wants to do in you. And then he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpassed it, the glory of Christ, the glory of the new covenant. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will even be more glorious." He's like, Moses knew the fading away, man, he was dying. For us, when we see ourselves dying, we know we're going to be glorified. That there's something more glorious. There's a promised land we're headed to that I can live and wander in this life because it's okay, because I know there's something at the other end. And God's gonna provide for me through it however he wants to, when he wants to. It's his call so that I can be used by him. And Paul says this, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. Boldness. Well, I thought I was like supposed to cower in front of God. You are if you know you're in sin, but if you're walking with Christ, if you've asked forgiveness, if you've repented, if you come to him and say, I'm nothing like Moses did, and you fall on your face and you genuinely want him, he's like, I want people like that. I want Moses's. I want people that, that in boldness come to me and I save these people, save my family, sa- that you boldly come to me and say, I trust you. It's your call, but, but I'm going to do everything I can. Like that, that's what he's looking for. Not a boldness that says, well, I'm going to claim a house and claim a car and claim stuff. No, the stuff's already been given to you. It's in the promised land. You just don't, you don't have it yet. I haven't given it to you yet. For us, we don't need to claim things out of heaven. We need to send stuff to heaven. And we have so many people running around claiming things when God's like, I've already given it all to you. Why do you need it now? Can't you just wait? No, I gotta have it now. Now, I claim it now. I can't can't follow you unless I have it now. Well, maybe I don't give it to you now just to test you. That's what I did all the way through the Old Testament. He goes on, he says, we are not like Moses, Paul says, who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed. Hard hearts. For to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. There are people right now all around the world celebrating a festival of the gift of God's word. And they don't realize it was Jesus. That he was the word made flesh, John says. And that he gave the power of his Holy Spirit as a new covenant. And Paul says, my heart breaks. It's not been lifted because it's... Set aside only in Christ. If you don't have Christ, then you don't get it. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. For us, when we read the Old Testament and we read the laws, we don't put a new veil on and say, I have to do all this to be right and to get my good stuff and get my blessing. We don't do that. We go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Help me. That's our response. Lead me. I'll try to be soft to your guidance and not be poked. He goes on and he says, We all with unveiled, oh, wait. He goes on and he says, Even to this day, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Do you feel like you're living in a veil? Turn to the Lord, quit turning to everything else that makes you stiff-necked, and turn to him. Even if you're in sin, turn to him in your sin. That's what Moses did. That's what the people did, and they were spared. He goes on and he says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's transforming you. And isn't it interesting to look in a mirror as you age, you're being transformed. You don't even get a choice. Like, you can't even, like, you, you can't, it's not even your choice. It's like, wow, I, I didn't choose that. It's, it's there, right? Some of us look in the mirror like, wow, I chose that. I chose a lot of that. Like, that's, wow, right? Like, God says, you only look at the physical, Look at what I'm doing inwardly. Do you ever reflect in a mirror on what God has done in you spiritually, what you know now that you didn't know, how he's changed you, how he's worked because the children of Israel wouldn't do that. They kept forgetting. And when you forget, then what happens is you go back to the mirror and you get discouraged. You go, I'm the same old person. No, you're not. Think back to all the way. Like, how is he changing? And if you're not changing, why? What's broken? What's broken? There's, there's a God who wants you to come back to him. goes on and it says this, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in his ways? To love him, to worship him. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I'm giving you today. Heck, do it for your own good. <laughs> He's like, do it for God, but also just do it for your own good. This is good for you, Right? Sorry, I forgot to click, or it didn't click. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord was devoted to your fathers, and he loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the people as it is today. You are here today hearing this message because for some reason God chose to put you here today. I don't know why. I don't know why you showed up. It's summertime. Maybe it's because it's raining. You didn't have anything better to do. I don't know. You're not at the lake. You came here. And he's trying to speak to us in that. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. You see, circumcision was the symbol in the Old Testament of the covenant that came through the male line, the picture of the firstborn of Christ and how that worked. It was a blood covenant. And God says, no, I need you to do something even. I need you to circumcise your heart. Wait. We're not heart surgeons. I'm not I think I'm gonna kill somebody if I do that. Well, that's why you got to let me do it. Let me circumcise your spiritual being, your heart. Let me circumcise it because there's no other way you won't be stiff-necked. Let me just tell you, that's a very graphic illustration. <laughs> God could have chosen any other illustration he wanted to use in scripture, and he uses this. And it's graphic if you take five seconds to think about it and that's all the longer I want you to think about it. He goes on and he says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God showing no partiality and taking no bribe. You can't earn it. You you can't weasel your way with God. You might be able to do it with other people. You might be able to convince them you know the Bible like Satan tried to with Jesus, but he's going to speak the truth. He knows you. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. You also must love the foreigner since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. We were all foreigners. We're foreigners in this world. This isn't my home. Heaven is. I'm a foreigner. Now, does that mean that foreigners don't have to obey the rules? Oh, no, 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 no. If you were a foreigner and you came into Egypt, you had to abide by the covenant. If you didn't, then you suffered the consequences of not abiding by the covenant. Right, Like you treated the foreigner, but if you were a foreigner who wanted to live in Israel, it's because you made a commitment to the covenant to live there on the land. So we have to keep that in mind. We can be friendly with the world. God's people only had to get rid of seven different people groups. The rest they were supposed to get along with in some way, to call them to repentance. He goes on. You are to fear Yahweh, your God, and worship him. Remain faithful to him. Take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome works your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 people in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the scars of the sky. See, when we look in the mirror, when we think back, can we just pause and go, I know who I could be right now. but I'm grateful I'm not that person. I'm grateful what God has done to this point. I know I've blown it, I've known I've done some things, but I also know that God hasn't left me because I'm still seeking him. And he can multiply, he can make fruit happen like I never dreamed, to take 70 people, to take seven people in your family and multiply them to the stars of the heaven. God can do that, you can't, but God can. Therefore, love the Lord your God and always keep his mandate And his statutes and ordinances command, you must understand today that it is not your children who experienced or saw the discipline of the Lord your God. Right? We just celebrated D-Day. That was a generation that understood discipline. That understood that in the first wave, as soon as the boat opened, only two or three people in the boat were going to survive. They were told that ahead of time and they were told to repent and make good with your God because you're not coming home. And they went and fought anyway. That's the marching order of us as believers. That God drops us in a place and it opens up and our kids are with us and our family is with us and most of the time we're like, well, I'm not going. Let's turn the boat around. And God's like, no, I'm asking you to take the hill. I'm asking you to fight for me. Not with guns, not with physical weapons, but with the spiritual battle that I've given you. And he says, that's exactly what I want for you. And he said, your kids don't get this. So you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to discipline them. You're going to have to show them God's way. His signs and the works he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all his land. What he did to Egypt's army, its horses and chariots, when he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow on them as they pursued you, and he destroyed them completely. What he did to you in the wilderness until you reached this place. Do you notice something? What God did, what God did, what God did, what God did. Nowhere does Moses say, and remember what these wonderful things you did? No. The only reason you did anything wonderful is probably because God was working in your life. It's probably because people prayed for you beforehand. If if you did something wonderful, it's because God's spirit got a hold of you and you did it. He goes on and it says, and what did he do at Dotham? And Abraham, the sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, went in the middle of the whole Israelite camp, the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them because they rebelled against Moses, their household, their tents, and every living thing with them. Your eyes have seen the very great work the Lord has done. Keep every command I'm giving you today so that you may have strength, have the strength to cross into and possess the land you are to inherit, and so that you may live long in the land your, the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk. And honey, can I just tell you, the reason we lack strength is because we haven't obeyed. We get stiff necks. And whenever you get a stiff neck, you don't sleep well. you got to buy a my pillow to try to solve it. Get a new semperputic master, or I'm sorry, mattress. See, we, we try to fix things, and sometimes you just need to look and go, maybe the reason I'm so tense all the time is because I just don't like obeying God at all. I don't care what he says. I just do what I want. And then I wonder why I don't feel good. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you're just being tested. Maybe you just don't feel good because God's trying to test you. and Show through you to other people his goodness in the midst of struggle. I don't know. But he says this, and he says, look, I've got a land for you. Look, as believers, we've got a better promise than they did. Our promise is we don't have to fight in this world physically. We don't have to go take a land. Jesus says, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to do it. And you're going to be on me, behind me, on horses, just going, yay, rah. Like, you're not even going to have a sword. I'm going to give you a robe. The sword's going to be my tongue, Revelation says. And I'm going to go through, and I'm going to cut everything. And you're going to be like, yay. You're not even going to hurt anyone. That's how he's coming back, the scriptures say. And so we trust him for that land. For the land you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come. Aren't you glad that the land, heaven, where we're going, isn't like this place? That there's going to—I don't know what a perfect tree looks like, but I look forward to that. I don't know what a perfect body looks like, but I look forward to having one. Right? I don't know what perfect looks like, but man, I'm—I'm I'm like I know this isn't. So I, whatever you got's better. I'm ready. I don't know what a perfect house looks like, but I guarantee you, you don't have to replace the roof too often in heaven, right? Or a perfect car, transportation. I don't know what perfect transportation is. Maybe we fly. I don't know, but I know the one I got keeps breaking down. I love this, and he says, you've sowed your seed and irrigated by hand, as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys, watered from rain from the sky. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. He is always watching over it from the beginning to the end of the year. That's why he has the feasts in place. He says, I want you to remember all through the year when all these feasts happen, tabernacles, Passover, when you come to the feast of Shabbat, when you think through that, I want you to keep giving me thanks. I'm the one that provided this for you. See, what we do is we forget. Oh, it's Easter this Sunday? God, it's, it's, it's Passover this Sunday? Oh, I forgot. God's like, you should be ordering your life around this. Because that's what they were called to do, to order their life. If they didn't order their life, they didn't eat because they were farmers. <laughs> like, if you didn't order your life according to the calendar God gives and the feasts and the festivals and when the rain comes and doesn't, you didn't live. But see, today we don't have to do that. Satan has done a great job of taking all of our needs and making it look like they're all provided for. And deep down, I think we're worse for it. Because we wonder if we're worth anything. Because we don't produce anything. And God's like, you're worth everything. Which is why my son died for you. If you carefully obey the commands I'm giving you today. To love the Lord your God and worship him with all your heart and with all your soul. I will provide rain for your land in the proper time. See, isn't that the problem, the proper time? We want to tell God when the proper time is. God, I need need rain now. Nah, I'm going to care for you in another way. No, I need rain now. Nah, it's not proper time. I'm doing something else. I disagree. Can I poke you back? Like he pokes us and says, no, you're going to have to go this way because you don't get rain. No, we poke him back because we don't like proper time. The autumn and spring rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine, and oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. Remember, the first place God created was a garden. And he gave Adam a job to tend it. If you don't like gardening, you might not like heaven. Just a thought. The main reason we don't like gardening is why? Weeds. Which is also why we don't like to walk with God because he points out the weeds and asks us to pick them. And it's just too hard. He goes on, he says, be careful that you're not enticed to turn aside worship and bow down to other gods then the Lord's anger will burn against you he will close the sky and there will be no rain the land will not yield its produce and you will perish quickly from the good land the Lord is giving you by the way perish quickly doesn't always mean your generation it could be three generations God's definition of quick is a lot longer than ours (laughs) and he says you will perish quickly if you're not careful and do you understand what God is saying? He's saying the reason the world is so wicked and so messed up, you wanna know why? Is because of us. That's scriptural. When man was cursed and man had authority over the world, everything under his authority became cursed with it. And unless you put a new authority in your life, you're under the curse. And when you put God, you put Jesus as your new authority, you're lifted from the curse and you are given the blessing of a new life, a new inheritance. He says, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands. Let them be symbols on your forehead. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the heavens above the earth are above the earth, your days and those your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your father." I read this, you know, I was reading this this week, what I thought of. Yeah, Lord, I I would do that if I was back in Israel. But you don't understand, I live in a place where people get offended. If I put like scriptures and like, I'm all about you and the Bible, people are gonna get really offended. Listen, it was just as offensive back then to stiff-necked people as it is now. Do we talk about him? Is he on our lips because what we talk about will show us what we really worship. If you talk about your house all the time, if you talk about your lover all the time, if you talk about your kids all the time, and you're not talking about God in the context of that, or if you're trying to like put God on it, this, 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 oh, ain't God. <laughs> you might have a worship problem. You might have an idol that you need to check back in and ask, Lord, am I worshiping you or the stuff, the gifts you give? For if you carefully observe every one of the commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and remain faithful to him. How many times has he said this in this? I mean, does it feel like I'm repeating myself? This is Moses repeating himself like four times. And he says, walk in his ways, remain faithful. The Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will drive out nations greater and stronger than you. You want the sin gone in your life? Know the word. Fight it. Invite others to fight with you in prayer like Moses did goes on, he says, every place the sole of your foot treads will be yours. Your territory will extend to the wilderness, to Lebanon, and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put fear and dread of you and all the land where you set foot as he has promised. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus was feared and dreaded when it came down to the end. That's why they killed him. They feared he was right, and they got rid of him. Look today, I set before you. Look at this. I set before you today a blessing and a curse. There will be a blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord I'm giving you today. And a curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God. And you turn aside from the oath I commanded you today by following other gods you've not known. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess, you are to proclaim the blessing at Mount Jezreel and the curse at Mount Ebal. Aren't these mountains across the Jordan beyond the western road in the land of the Canaanites who live... In Arabah, opposite of Gilgal, near the the oaks of Morath, he says, look, you know how to do this. You know where it's going to happen. God says, this is going to happen one day. When we're in heaven one day, we're going to be calling out blessings back and forth. It's just going to be a big praise and like, woo, this is awesome. It's exactly what heaven's going to be like. And he's like, the reason it's not that way is because you don't want it to be that way. Look at this. For you're about to cross over to the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land your God is giving you. When you possess it and settle in it, be careful. In other words, fully care to follow the statutes and ordinance I set before you today. Be careful to follow these statutes and order. <laughs> I'm repeating myself. In the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days you live on the earth, destroy completely all the places where the nations that you're driving out worship their gods. On the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree, do not... Or tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn up their Asherah poles, cut down the carved images of the gods, and wipe out their names from every place. Don't worship the Lord your God this way. In other words, don't worship like they worship. Don't like say, well, God can be worshipped that way. No. Don't worship him that way. That's not how He asked to be worshipped. You, you can't have it both ways. And then he goes on and he says, instead, you must turn. Look. <clears throat> you must Turn. To the place Yahweh your God chooses from all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling and go there. You must turn. Poking with the ox go. Will you turn to the place I tell you? Will you go the direction I want you to go? Decl- listen. Shabbat, what we celebrate this week and has been celebrated for thousands of years is the declaration of where God wants to dwell. Do you know where God mostly wants to dwell on the face of the planet? With everything Moses has just read, what we know Jesus did and the Holy Spirit coming, it says he wanted to dwell in you and in me. He has chosen you to be his dwelling place. This is not a sanctuary. This is a gym. It's the Banneker Community Center. We don't own it. Monroe County Parks and Rec does. This is not a holy space. Jesus said wherever two or more are gathered, and my name is the focus, that you are the one who saves. Whenever two or more are gathered, I'm there. That's a worship. But he asks us to come together and not forsake the assembling of ourselves. See, as we wrap up, this is what 1 Corinthians says. Everything is permissible for me. See, if you are a believer in Jesus, God has forgiven you. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more, to love you less, because God is love. Justice has been carried out on Christ. So really, you could look and say, well, I can get by with it. Jesus will forgive me. Yeah. You think everything's permissible for you, but not everything's beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. But I will not be brought under the control of anything. This is Paul speaking. I I do everything I can to be sure I'm not under the control of anything except my God. And it is so easy to get under the control of something, it's so subtle. It just, and before we know it, we're stiff necked about that thing. We're not soft to what God says. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Don't don't be about glorifying God out there. Do it here first and let it pour out to others glorify God in your body. Then he talks about sexual immorality there, Paul does. He lays out like one of the signs is that you'll turn and you'll do whatever you want with sex because it's I can do whatever I want. It's permissible, I can do this, God will forgive me. He's like, no, don't do that. That leads to destruction. And then he says, for now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now, these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. God gave because he loves. You see, God wants you to know that he knows you fully. He knows you better than you know you. See, Satan doesn't know you as well as God does because Satan, according to Scripture, can't, like, know your thoughts unless you're demonically possessed, which I don't think any of you are because you'd be out of control right now. So, because when I'd mention the name of Jesus, you'd be freaking out. So as a result, I don't think any of you are possessed, so as a result... When you look at these words and when you see this, God fully knows who you are. Satan doesn't. Satan can only see your, like, facial expressions, what you say, how you act. Satan sees when you get stiff-necked and he pokes a little bit more to try to get you to go his way. But he can't hear your thoughts and your prayers unless you utter them. God knows it all. And he still died for you. He still loves you enough to talk to you, to to encourage you, to give you a second chance, a third chance. Because he wants you someday to see him face to face. And to not be afraid, but to say thank you. To come before him on the mountain like Moses, I don't even deserve to be here, but thank you. And then once we have that experience, the willingness to leave that mountain and do what he asks us to do. That's what we're called to do as believers. Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I can tell you that there is a God that we just walk through, that it's the same story over and over again, who loves you, is calling to you, and he just wants you to know how great it is to follow him and to know him. He wants you to know that he's not trying to stab you and get you to, he's just trying to soften you so that As he walks you through the word, you can listen and obey. He wants you to know his word so you know how to respond in a broken world. He wants you to cry out to him when you don't understand the word. He wants a relationship, not a business deal. And Paul says, that's exactly what I'm longing for. I'm longing for the day when the faith, hope, and love all come together. And what I've placed my faith in meets up with the hope that I've been living for And the love that I cherish in God, and all of a sudden it becomes real. I can't wait for that day. And God, help me be a Moses who cries out for people who don't know this. Because if they don't know, they're going to meet you face to face one day. And they're going to be judged. And there will be no hope for them. And if we lived that way as believers, our faces would shine. Light up the world. But so often, we're like the children of Israel we get stiff-necked and God has to discipline. I just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus is asking you this morning to allow him to fully know you. He already does, but to submit to him. And if you do know Christ or claim to know Christ, ask yourself about where you're stiff-necked. Ask yourself what's controlling you that you've given yourself over to. Soften yourself. Allow God to soften your heart to him.